Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you fine listeners. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. This episode's challenge is a fun one, in my opinion, Needle Drops. Oh, are we ranking them now, Mike? Which ones are fun and which ones aren't fun? Or... <laughs> I, no, I mean, this, I, obviously, I think all of our topics are, are yeah. fun. But this one, uh, certainly, I think both of us are uh, music geeks as as, as well as uh, movie geeks. So yeah. it's like the marriage of the two is just sometimes can be magical on the it screen. Yeah. No, I was just uh, just joking a little bit there. It was yeah. um, it also I, I liked picking this one. It, it, it I mean, we have like a, our master list of like, oh, these would be good ideas for future shows. And this just came up in conversations like, oh, shit, we should do that topic now. <laughs> so yeah. It's one of those like impulsive ones. But also it's a little bit of a different way to do a watch challenge than we've done so far i mean we're only uh you know in like you know 20 some episodes in here but i've never went and watched a film because i heard there was a good needle drop scene <laughs> but now i'm going to because I, I i put a few on my watch list that i was that i you know was doing some reading and i was like wait that that song's in that movie like i'm gonna check that one out yeah so i'm really gonna do that one but this was more like trying to compile like kind of i guess you know we'll get into like what is a needle drop but like how they can be used and also in doing some research i was like they can be used in so many different ways that i really hadn't given that much thought to i guess absolutely yeah and th this is where uh youtube really comes, <laughs> comes in handy <laughs> for some of these episodes because so many so many other people have compiled these or um they they just simply have the clip of where the song is is yeah. featured and uh, so many of them, I'm surprised they're not like immediately flagged or, you know, silenced because of uh, of, of the lucrative nature of music licensing. That's which, I mean, that, that could be a subject for another day. <laughs> right, right. Right. But but boy. Um, but yeah, no, this uh, it's uh, this is like the micro version, I guess. Of, uh, watch challenge. <laughs> I guess uh, to start off, maybe like what is a needle drop in case folks aren't familiar with that term? Um, I just wrote it down as music that kicks in at a pivotal time in a film. Uh, yeah. Usually pop songs. I don't mean that only as like pop songs could be rock, hip hop, you know, death metal, like, you know, anything. Um, but that was also just me coming up with something <laughs> off the top of my head. Like, that's what it means to me. Is that kind of how you're looking at it, Mike? Oh, yeah. I mean, it. it's like sometimes there is and, and a lot of times I'm sure it's uh, it's conceptualized by whoever the director of the film is, but that you also have these music supervisors who probably have to sit through movie multiple times and they start mm -hmm. to think of like, oh, what could work for this particular scene? And sometimes like more often than not, you know, it's just such gold that that some of these things or these people pick um, because, yeah. you know, can really enhance something and or really make it more memorable. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's like, it's like if, if you watch it with the, the sound clip or you watch it isolated, right. You know, just how the differences that, uh, that a simple um, song can, can make is, is sometimes incredible. And it's, it's funny you mention it that way, because it, in case folks hadn't listened to our previous episode or this is the first time listening for somebody, we mentioned at the end of our last episode, uh, Quick Plug, which is all about film noir, about how needle doing a topic on needle drops really keeps us in a very kind of more modern film context yeah. because it wasn't really a thing that was used. Uh, I mean, you can find examples of it. I, I, I get that. 
um, you know, like Nothing But a Man or some earlier ones. But in 1967, you have exactly what you're describing. Uh, Mike Nichols is putting together The Graduate. And he and his editor, producer, whoever else was around, they were just using Simon and Garfunkel songs because they were fans. And that was a contemporary, huge, you know, folk uh, rock ish duo. And then somebody at some point was like, why don't we just use this music? Like they were using that yeah. as like the, the the rhythms to edit to and because it spoke to the themes of the story they're working on. And then they ended up working with Simon and Garfunkel and the rest is history. Uh, very famous uh, soundtrack, but also just kind of open the floodgates of like, hey, you know what? You can just use popular music, whatever you love on the radio or in your record collection. Why not use that in your movies? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, because like that. I mean, before that was probably just the music that was used in a movie was either the score or. Uh, you know, there were so many Hollywood musicals that were made mm-hmm. in the fifties and sixties, but then, um, as we, as you got after the graduate, like, you know, you say, uh, for example, you have a movie like American graffiti, which oh my gosh, yeah. exclusively, um, licensed music from, from the 1950s, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the late, either like the very early sixties, right. um, you know, where probably, before that it wouldn't have been thought of to to use all of those songs like it, it would only have to be original works or something like that's that. that's a good question actually because even and maybe we'll do this as a topic at some point but i have a very soft spot for like the beach party films oh yeah so like early mid 60s and they were using like uh, at the time his, his his stage name little stevie wonder is in one of sure. the movies singing one of his songs so like but it's not in the context that we're talking about with needle drops. Those were like performances built in within it. So yeah, yeah, I wonder if 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 graduate or other stuff hadn't come along in the late sixties there, if American Graffiti would just be the one that like broke it all open. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I'm sure at the time, I mean, I, I would have to look into this, but like I'm sure at the time it wasn't as expensive back then to get like all of those songs because maybe by then, because they were yeah. about 20 ish years old, maybe they were just thought of as like, Oh, that's, that's old stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> fine now. But I'm sure if like, if, if you or I try to make American graffiti now, um, you know, Oh, hello. 15 would, million just for oh, music rights. Oh, yeah. exactly. Oh it would gosh, just yeah. break the bank. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I could see it going either way. I could see it going the way of like, it would be so it would be cheap to get the rights because everyone's like, you want to use it for what? Yeah. Who cares? Whatever. Or, we're also in the era of like payola scams on the radio yeah. to get certain, you know, songs out there. So maybe it would have been uh, price gouging a little bit. Right. Um, <laughs> I know, I know one of the directors, and we're going to kind of talk about some of the greatest sure. that we aren't mentioning here in just a second, but I remember that story specifically coming about with um, Richard Linklater putting together Days to Confused, which oh, yeah. not pick because it's awesome. And I think it's very well known and it's not one I wanted to highlight necessarily, but trying to get sweet emotion for that opening scene with Aerosmith. Oh yeah. It uh, was like, how much money are we paying for this? Uh, says the producer and Rich Linklater was like, no man, I got to open it with this. And fucking if that's not a memorable, you know, first impression of a movie. Oh my God. Yeah. That is, it's gotta be one of the, the yeah. top five, like, um, of like opening song choices. Oh, like, for sure. Know, in the last, uh, 25, 30 years. Yeah. Well, before we mention some of like the greats that we're technically going to mention, but not really mention, um, <laughs> there was this thing that popped up and being the uh, the filmmaker here of the duo, Mike, I wanted to ask you about being diegetic sound versus non-diegetic sound, but specifically for the songs that are being played. Yeah. So we've got diegetic, meaning the characters hear it in the scene versus non-diegetic. They, they're not heard by the character, but we hear it. Well, we hear both. Yeah. 
So. Like I, I would say uh, a great example of diegetic would be uh, the fact that uh, in American Psycho, uh, you have Christian Bale's character uh, acknowledges Huey Lewis uh, before he makes one of his uh, kills, which I, I believe is hip to be square. Oh, uh, my God, that's a great I didn't even think about that one. That's that that movie's full of those. Yeah. You know, it's like he'll he'll. I mean, because he talks about Huey Lewis and then apparently, um, you know, I watched a, a video where, you know, Huey, I guess it was a tough sell at first because, you know, they they realize that it's it's associated with a movie about a serial killer. But, right. um, you know, once they they read the script and they I think they saw some of the footage, they they eventually signed off on it. Um, yeah. So that that would be like the diegetic. The uh, a non-diegetic would be, uh, you know, there's a great sequence in Goodfellas that is done to um, the ending portion of Layla. Um, you know, where it's like you, you have this, this nice tracking shot over this pink Cadillac of, we have like two dead. Uh, oh <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Of our, our dead, um, you know, mobsters. And it goes into this, this nice little uh, montage, uh, you know, cause it kind of segues to the, towards the end of the film, but yeah. uh, you know, to me that that's one of the most memorable ones. Um, It's just, um, it's just so, so beautiful. I mean, such beautiful music, but you're also seeing like horrific things sometimes. It's all dead mobster montage. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point, which is interesting that they can both be needle drops, but then also, as we were mentioning, like getting rights to certain movies too. Oh yeah. How it's, you well with the Huey Lewis too like that's a hard sell we're like I want to use your 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 music you know obviously we like your music and all that but we're going to use it while this guy's just murdering people in cold blood like that's got to be a hard sell <laughs> to to an yeah. artist but also there's like this cost associated with certain rights too yeah it I've uh like there's been a couple times where with working with documentary type features where I've I've uh, approached musicians about getting the rights and so you normally have to go through their manager first but you also have to go through not only the artist but you also have to make sure that you get the clearance of the writer of the song because a lot of times the oh interesting you know um you it it could be like a very well-known song by huey lewis but maybe maybe john cougar wrote it actually you know right so you have to make sure it's cool with with the writer cool with the artist and then eventually it usually leads to the via the manager you are writing your your letter your your like heartfelt letter saying why you want to use this song sure um, there's actually a great special feature on the movie school of rock um where they made this hardcore like heartfelt pitch to led zeppelin where they wanted to use um immigrant song in, in one of the scenes uh and for there was a time period where led zeppelin never licensed their songs like it was it was a very almost very hard thing to do yeah. and so it was like they shot it at the the end concert scene mm-hmm. where they had everybody kind of like cheering like led zepp led zepp or something like that <laughs> and they eventually signed off on it so oh okay nice. it's like it's sometimes you know, you have to really give the intention of what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes in lieu of showing what the footage is about, it's just sometimes having somebody like like a Jack Black who sure. is so impassioned when he speaks anyway. Especially um, about music, too. Like why it's so important that, yeah. that we need this song. Interesting. 
And then also on top of that is like, like we mentioned with Days to Confuse, like, can you afford it with your budget? Like you may really yeah. want that song. The way you actually were just describing that too, I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, think of all the great needle drop scenes we have missed out on Oh, yeah. as an artist. And it's their prerogative. It's totally fine. It was just like, yeah, no, you're not using my song there. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe there's a great ones where like, oh, there's these great discoveries, like some of the greats again that we will maybe mention here, but we aren't using as our official picks or anything like that like a paul thomas anderson putting together boogie nights oh you know, yeah there was there was a there's a there's a you know multi-million dollar budget there second feature film and all but i don't know that there was like oh and here's three million just for music rights so i feel like as a kid watching that movie that seemed like a deeper dive into 70s music yeah and i got with some other larger hollywood stuff maybe and i don't know this necessarily to be true although i've listened to the six different commentary tracks or whatever he's got on the, all the different iterations of that movie on home video. I wonder if like the bit more of a deeper dive yielded a cooler needle drop. Cause I was like, Oh, I've never heard of like spill that wine before, you know, yeah. as did. and then it's like, Oh my God, like I can't, I'm picturing that scene right now just cause I said the name of that song. Yeah. Like um, one, one example from that film. Uh, I love the song fooled around and fell in love by Elvin Bishop. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's used by a lot of movies that takes place in the seventies. I think true. it just kind of evokes this, this tone and there's a scene it's basically a scene with, which leads to William H. Macy's character eventually um, murdering his wife. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. so, um, but uh, it, you know, it also involves um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character kind of pining for yeah. um, Dirk Diggler. I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's a marriage of like that, that whole kind of sequence like those complicated sequences of those parties, which I'm sure on paper seem just like hangout scenes. But my guess is like those were complicated to film because you have so many storylines that you're trying to to progress um, yes. as movies go along. And, and sometimes the right song just kind of puts you in that in that party, I would say. Cause you're, it's not just editing to the beat and rhythm of that particular song, but it's also multiple narratives, like you're saying, and having the emotional space to like actually perform like the heartache and the longing and the rejection that the characters yes. are feeling right there too. And have it all kind of sync up with cross. God damn. Yeah. That, that, that's just such a perfect needle drop. Yeah. <laughs> no, there, I mean, yeah. And it's like, there's certain uh, directors of that ilk, uh, like Paul Thomas Anderson, like, uh, Tarantino For sure. who are of a certain age who I think you know who grew up in the 70s like knew a lot of that the music from that era and probably the 60s as well mm -hmm. and into the 80s it's like god you know it's <laughs> in, in Scorsese's like you know he's like the generation before so like he's got right. like the knowledge of the 50s 60s and 70s like yep. he still seems like I imagine his iPod is just like it stopped probably at like the seventies. I, I don't know <laughs> or if like, but but who knows? <laughs> you know what? Actually, funny you should say that. One of the most jarring needle drops and Scorsese in my my book is just the goat. Like he's the greatest at doing the needle drops. He didn't. He was around when it was invented as a, yeah. as a filmmaking technique. Um, but his for I mean even uh, Mean Streets has this great thing where again it's it's um crap I always fuck it up. Hang on. So it's it's a good. I think it's non-diegetic example where, and Mysteries isn't his first feature film. You got Bhaskar Bertha and Who's That Knocking at My Door, but it's the first one that kind of really went out to the public in a big, big way. And there's a scene where Harvey Keitel sitting at the bar and Jumpin' Jack Flash kicks on. Obviously, oh, yeah. he has got a huge loving relationship with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and I can't remember if it's playing in the bar or not, but I feel like it's in a bar, so it could be playing, but it's really putting you in the headspace of that character. So it's very um, subjective 
non diegetic yeah. example there. And then um, De Niro's character comes in and it's just like this fucking guy. It's just, <laughs> um, but one of the more jarring ones that he has is in The Departed, where he uses a uh, Dropkick Murphy song. Oh, yes. Lost it. Yeah. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Scorsese's using a modern song? <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> yeah. But also, it's perfect because you have this New York filmmaker who went up to Boston, like, literally to make The Departed, a very Boston set, you know, um, specific set uh, film. And then he kicks it off with, like, a Boston ska band, which I was like, all right, man, right on. Yeah. Right on. Oh, no. It, it, now it makes me just want to watch The Departed again. I know, right? <laughs> Well, that was sort of the thing that hearing the songs or even just the title of a song, like that was kind of my criteria for how I picked a couple honorable mentions. And my main one was like the song itself, my visual in my brain is immediately the movie. Was yeah. sort of how I, I went with that. I also ran across this question of because and I have several different examples of it within my honorable mentions, but like a song that you either know the song and then it's used in the film. You're like, oh, shit, I love that song. Like that gives you a different kind of endorphin rush. Yeah, recognition and appreciation of it versus also like a song kicks in and you don't know the song. We're like, oh, fuck it. That was perfect. Yeah. Which I think, honestly, cause it's not really always my genre of music. That's more of the Wes Anderson school of song choices. Sure. Because um, I wasn't really like a big, like, you know, Velvet Underground fan or some of the stuff there at the time of seeing those movies where I was like, what the hell is that song? That's an amazing song. Yeah. I, it's um, well, earlier this year uh, we had, or it was late last year. French Dispatch, you know, it's like, I think whenever a Wes Anderson trailer comes out, you're going to hear some kind of like unique song that immediately, like I'm Googling, like, what is that? Like, yep. it sounds, yep. <laughs> it sounds like avant-garde sixties yep. or something. Um, and I know some people, there are some people who absolutely just despise like uh, his movies because they're so kind of unique and out there. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but uh, but no, I mean that always kind of gives me like a rush. I, I think when I when I see like a trailer for a Wes Anderson thing coming out because, yeah, he he tends like he should be th- probably thrown in one of those in the categories with the the Tarantinos and the in the in the other Anderson. The other Anderson, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all right, well, so with all those like greats that. I think with an easy Google search, or if you just asked anybody who's a casual film watcher, they would probably rattle off a lot of those same folks as well. Yeah. Let's dive in a little bit deeper, Mike. What have you got for honorable mentions? So uh, one of my uh, honorable mentions is from, it's like one of those films that that's a favorite of mine, just, and part of it is because I'm a huge baseball fan uh, and also a Cleveland baseball fan. So uh, from the film Major League from 1989, uh, I have Burn On by Randy Newman, uh, which opens that film. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. That's okay. Yeah. Burn on is is written about Cleveland. Um, and during the time when he wrote the song, it was very um, you know, Cleveland was the butt of many jokes, and the song is actually a satirical look of of the Cuyahoga River catching fire. Um, but oh. in the context of Major League, it it's a really 
<clears throat> kind of beautiful song um, that looks at kind of the, the downturn that the that the Cleveland baseball team was having, uh, you know, like 34 year straight years of losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of just matches it. So like, there's like this nice montage to it that shows that, you know, they were, they won the world series in 48, but then since then they were, they were pretty bad. Um, yeah. And I've heard him, uh, he did like a, a concert here, not that long ago, you know, and he, and he it, it's just like one of those songs where it's like, it's so deceptive uh, that that it is kind of like poking fun of of the city, but you listen to it and it's like I don't know, it's like music to my ears when I hear it because it says like Cleveland City of Light, City of Magic, but then like there's all these like little pots poke uh, you know pot jokes in there or, or not pot, uh, but you know what I mean it's like jokes that are yeah. kind of poking fun at the city, um, but uh, it it's perfect setup for that movie in, in my opinion. No, I agree. And, and it wasn't, it's not a, a singer or artist that I know too well. And when you yeah. said the name, I was like, what song from major league is that one? Cause it's not um, a <laughs> wild thing. So what song are you talking about? But as soon as you mentioned the opening, I was like, Oh, I'm immediately picturing it. And I can yeah. hear that song. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? So I, well, I just realized I wrote these out in chronological order. So well, <laughs> let's stick with that. So the first one I was thinking of was going back to like when the needle drop started. We mentioned the graduate in 67. Sure. My first pick is from 69. One of my all time favorite American films, easy rider. Ah, uh, yes. Directed by the madman Dennis Hopper himself. <laughs> and I, I use this in the new Hollywood class I teach as well. And when I show this film or even the trailer for it, this song born to be wild by Steppenwolf, I feel like it's just so associated with that movie. And if you have seen that movie, as soon as I said, Born to be Wild, the way it just kicks off, boom, you know. It's running like there's motorcycles on the road. They're off and running. It's after the drug deal's gone down. Yeah. You got their tank full of uh, gas tank full of money and they're hitting the road. And it's, you know, two dudes like the modern Western electric horses yes. in the road. This time, instead of heading to the West, they're heading to the East, uh, which I think is a fun take on the Western. But I have the soundtrack for that film on vinyl, CD, any, any like anytime I'll just hear that on the radio. It'll just like pop on the radio. I'm just like, oh, I got to watch Easy Rider right now. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so ingrained. I don't. I mean, I watched Easy Rider so long ago. I don't know if I was aware of that song before seeing that movie or not. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, in VHS in high school, I couldn't say that memory is long gone by now. But when I think of just the way that drum, the guitar, like it all hits right at the beginning, um, just boom, we're off and running. And that's the way the movie goes. It just hits and it's off and running. That's awesome. And, and since it's 69, I have to think, kind of like we were speculating with American Graffiti, I don't. I feel like one of these movies would have come along. Obviously, Easy Rider is a couple years before American Graffiti, but this 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 uh, needle drop pop music on the soundtrack just was going to happen sooner or later. Anyway, I feel like it was just ready to go. And oh, yeah. You know, the Graduate blew it open in 67. By the time we get to Dennis Hopper um, in the editing bay doing Easy Rider in 68 and 69. Um, yeah, great. I mean, just it's it's like the greatest hits of, of the rock soundtrack of the era. Absolutely. So what else you got, Mike? Uh, my next one is uh, from 
a a movie from 2009 which uh to many people probably would be uh kind of obscure at this point uh, but it is a a movie by um Jody Hill who's the creator of Eastbound and Down yeah. and um Vice Principals uh, it's called uh, Observe and Report with Seth Rogen and um the song uh in question is uh the Yardbirds over under sideways down all right over under yeah over under sideways down a very um cool song uh but uh it's used in this montage so basically uh seth rogan plays this uh, mall security cop who's kind of like at a crossroads he's kind of a lonely person and uh he has this uh this cohort that is <laughs> that is played by um i, I know his last name is Pena, oh, Michael but, Pena. Uh, yes yeah um but they are like the perfect like um you know duo here but there's it's this montage basically where they're they're doing cocaine and a bunch of other drugs and they are uh basically <laughs> they're like they're running around the mall um you know protecting it uh from like kids so like they're like breaking uh um skateboards and yep. they're uh <laughs> they're like riding the like the the cheap mall rides and stuff. I I don't know. It's just like such a weird movie, um, but just like such an upbeat scene set to this song. Um, and uh, you know, because it's basically, you know, I mean, it's a '60s song. It's probably there was a lot of psychedelics done to that. Probably. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're they're doing quite a bit of drugs in the film, and it's I don't know. It always stuck out to me. Um, I mean, that movie I probably haven't seen it for a while, but. Uh, that that particular scene was very memorable for me. <laughs> yeah, I adore the movie. I've not seen that in a while, but I remember seeing it twice in the theater, and I was like, "What song are you talking about?" And then, as soon as you were describing, it, it's like, oh, "I remember that montage exactly. I need to watch that right now." <laughs> yeah, such a, a very dark, uh, dark it's movie very, for like a, a mainstream film. Very dark, but uh, but yeah, uh, very unique and uh, a mem- memorable needle drop for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I it it was one of those where I was like, oh my god, I need I need to see Michael Pena do way more comedy because yeah. he is committed to that. He's like so good. Part. <laughs> Speaking of comedies, I, I did have, wanted to have one comedy on my list, and I was like, man, maybe just needle drops and comedies aren't really a thing as much. Yeah, and I didn't explore that too deeply because I thought of something right away where I was like, holy shit! Like it was almost my actual full pick. Yeah, uh, for this one, and that is the song. I Got You, Babe, by Sonny and Cher <laughs> from Groundhog Day. Yes. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. Babe. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. Okay, campers, rise and shine. And don't forget your booties, because it's cold. Because as anybody who's seen Groundhog Day, which I'm just going to assume is everybody listening to this right now, because, <laughs> you know, one of like the iconic Bill Murray, um, Bill Murray films. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Famous film. Sorry. But, you know, Bill Murray's leading the show here. 
it starts off as just like, oh yeah, that's totally a morning crew song that would would that a song that a morning crew would play to like get you up and moving and you get the great uh, dynamic of the radio crew that are like, it's, you know, it sure is cold out there. And like the whole thing to do that I got you, babe. But then as the day repeats over and over again, it puts us totally subjective. So also this is a diegetic example. So like they hear it, uh, yeah. Bill hears it in there. And then we go through the ups and downs of like hating that song. And then just like resigning ourselves to like, well, we're just going to be here. And like on the 50th time we hear it, we're like, Okay, we're just going to be hearing this every few minutes when he re-wakes up again. And at the point where we get full of rage, he's breaking the alarm clock, he's smashing it, uh, you know, checking out the window, we know, whatever. Um, and then we're like totally resigned, or at least I am as a viewer, every time I watch it by the end, we're just like, you know what, I've come around, the song's fine. It's like you just sort of zen out and let it happen. And when it doesn't play at the final end, you're sort of like, I kind of miss that song. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. And there's like this weird relief, but like, oh, all right. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> so I wonder as far as rights go, when you're getting a song, like that song is played like a thousand times in that movie was, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> does that just cost more money then? Like the amount um, of time you're using it? There is sometimes, yeah, there is sometimes a cost of like how long it's used in the song. So if it's the full song, you know, it's going to be a little bit more if it's only a snippet. Oh, good point. Um, there are times where that, you know, when I got you, babe, it's only sometimes like 10 seconds. Oh, it's that. Yeah, it's real so, quick. So, yeah, it probably they probably cut a deal in, in that regard. And, um, you know, I'm sure if they read the script you know, I, I don't. I know at that point they were divorced and everything, and I'm sure that that's where it gets a little murky. Oh, um, true. But uh, but I'm sure if they read it, I mean, I can't speak for Cher or Sonny Bono, <laughs> but I'm sure they read that they were like, "Oh, that's, that's pretty cool script." It's <laughs> hilarious. But, yeah. yeah. Who knows? <laughs> even been in Congress at that point. I forget when he died or whatever. But that was yeah, career going as well. But um, so yeah, that was my that's my my comedy pick. So also another like di- a diegetic example of like. The character is hearing it um, in that one. So for sure. The other honorable mentions, Mike. Yeah. So my, my last one, um, I'm a big fan of like the, the eighties montage or uh, you know, that I think like you could say like from between the eighties and then early nineties, there were a lot of like, there's like kind of showstopper montage scenes in, in movies, like be it sports movies or like comedies. Uh, you know, I, I mean, there's so many I can name, but uh, for this one, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big uh, Rocky Four fan. Uh, okay. of, like, I love the Rocky movies, but Rocky Four in particular, there's something about it. It's a little campy. It's, uh, you know, it's like very 80s pro, pro USA, yeah. um, anti-Russia um, yeah. kind of thing. But uh, there is a sequence in the film where there are basically there's so many montages in that movie. <laughs> like it's, you could just call it a montage movie really. Yes. Um, but uh, there are like back-to-back montages. One is just, uh, you know, as an instrumental and then uh, by uh, Vinny DiCallo, I think who uh, scored that one. And then you have hearts on fire, uh, which is by John Cafferty and the Beaver band.
John Cafferty actually probably best known for having a great needle drop in the movie uh, Eddie and the Cruisers, which is called On the Dark Side. But uh, this one, Hearts on Fire, is, uh, you know, it's like the ultimate boxing movie montage. Uh, you have the East versus West, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. the, the Russian has like all the most state of the art uh stuff or rockies like in a cabin chopping wood and like lifting uh boulders and all this stuff and and running up mountains <laughs> you know eventually he uh gets to the top and he yells drago as the song comes to this like climax it's uh i i use it actually <laughs> as the uh as the exit song for my wedding uh, a couple of years oh, ago. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's just some, it's very cheesy um, song and it's filled with like not only guitars, but you have a lot of like synthesizers from that, from that were popular in that time period, but such a great song. And uh, <laughs> it just <laughs> makes me think of all the, you know, punching and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's one of those, when you hear the song, you think of the song, you're just like, I just got to go watch that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nice. I don't know if I've ever gone that deep into the Rocky franchise. So that that's a, a gap. I've yeah, got. I mean, I'm arguably not, it's in that, that particular needle drop. Cause I have not experienced that needle drop. You know, it, you know, arguably it's, you know, some people could, could look at like, you know, you see the first one, one best picture Oscar, you know, and mm-hmm. by the fourth, it had really gotten, you know, kind of, showing with the times i think you know it, it was very excessive 80s uh, sure. a lot of flashy editing very mtv style editing yeah. and um you know the the characters were not as like fully developed it was just kind of like you hit the beats and you get yep. to the next montage <laughs> you've got so, a formula here folks let's do it exactly exactly yeah. but you and actually some, a couple other people i know that are like that really love the rocky uh series and then the the creed spinoffs as well cite that as like personal favorite like it may not be the best but oh my god it's so much fun yeah yeah it's the shortest um so i guess it's it's easier to digest (laughs) (laughs) uh well i I have one last honorable mention before we get to our actual picks here and this one is my most modern one this falls in the category of song i did know ahead of time that i adore it was part of the soundtrack to my my college years me and my my roommates were huge fans of the john spencer blues explosion Mm. so and I and I at the time of watching Baby Driver in 2017, oh yeah, I was like I was a casual Edgar Wright fan. Sure, he was one of those where like I would listen anytime he was on a podcast or wrote an article because he's just like one of those uber film geeks who I would like go to for like I want to hear what he's talking about and I want to get a whole bunch of recommendations. But for some reason, I didn't have this compulsion to like I got to see everything he does. I'm there now, <laughs> but it just it wasn't there like earlier on. Like I, I'll get to it eventually, kind of thing to it. And I can still remember like what theater and what seat I was in watching uh, Baby Driver on that those Thursday night preview uh, screenings. Yeah. And the opening sequence is set to the entire five minute and 17 seconds of Bell Bottoms by John Spencer Blues Explosion. And it's also, I think, just one of the top tier car chases that's ever been filmed. 
Yes. It's it's baby uh, at the wheel with the the crew that's robbing the bank, and I it just it hooked me because I love the song, but also the way that Edgar Wright and his cinematographer and his editors put it together. We don't see the bank robbery, right? We just sit with the getaway driver in the car, and he's got his earbuds. In, well, at the time too, it's you know corded earbuds in on his iPod, and he plays music to keep himself focused and not distracted while he's the getaway driver. So it's also this really kind of awesome. It's diegetic but for one person in the scene yeah and for us watching it and it goes with the ups and downs of that song and like if you know the song there's like quieter parts and it gets immediately crazy and then it gets quieter and it's all over the place and that editing to that uh an amazing car chase sequence as well um yeah. i just i was like oh my god you've you have got me i'm <laughs> i've started a movie already uh let's see what you got after this and that was just the opening scene and then the whole movie itself is kind of I have a very liberal sense of what a musical is. And, but that one to me is like, it's a musical. Uh, oh yeah. The, after that, that great opening sequence, it's you have this like credit, uh, the opening credit sequence where everything is kind of like, um, he's like moving to, to a certain beat and, yeah. and you know, and the way how the, the credits show up and stuff. I, I, I what well, even like some of the lyrics to the song he's listening to, yes. I think it's Harlem shuffle the way it kicks off yes. we'll watch that one in a little while, but some of it, even like there's there, the lyrics are like graffiti in the background as he walks yeah. by. You're like, God, how do you, and it's all single take as well um, for that opening credit sequence as well. At least. So like, God damn, the choreography there is like a musical. Yeah. Such a, such a great movie. And I don't know if like, you know, I don't have cable traditional sense and it's like, I'm, I'm sure like that would be one that gets played often, but I'm sure there's a slight tinge of, uh, because it has uh, Kevin Spacey. So like, it may not be shown as much. Yeah. I, I don't know, but, uh, but it's like, can they just CGI over his face or something? Like <laughs> he's a, he's also a supporting character, so it's not like a starry vehicle. Right. For him. And he plays a sleaze ball in the movie, so fuck it, you know. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> We're good. But, um, all right, Mike, what is your official? What was your what is your actual watch challenge pick for Needle Drops? Absolutely. Uh, so I think uh, one of my favorite films of all time. And this is uh, now it's yeah it's it's twenty over twenty years old now, but uh, is uh, Cameron Crowe's almost famous, and uh, I'm gonna go with Tiny Dancer, uh, and you know it's it's an example of the diegetic uh, where um, everybody is aware of the song in the in the film. Uh, it's like at a pivotal time in the film where we have um, Russell, the the leader of the band, the the guitarist, uh, who is. Uh, just had this uh, kind of drug fueled. <laughs> night where he goes to, yeah, goes to a party and uh, yeah, you know, basically is doing a lot of thinking about the band because he is he is kind of like put together in the spotlight, uh, maybe rightfully so, but uh, you know, like he's kind of the one getting a, more of the spotlight where the the rest of the band kind of thinks they're um, an afterthought. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is kind of the scene where. Uh, they all come back together and they, it's like a big, almost like apology to everybody, like everybody, it's like everybody's in a weird place, but then this particular song kind of gets them all back on the same map. The power of music. Jesus freeze out in the street and then tickets out for God. Turning back 
Big Elton John fan. Uh, finally got to see him live uh, a couple years ago. On now, it's like a four or five year goodbye Yellow Big Road tour. <laughs> um, but uh, this was, uh, you know, when I saw that show, like this, it was one of the highlights to hear that live, oh, sure. uh, Tiny Dancer. But uh, in this in this film, it's like it's the high point I think of that film. And, um, you know, so many great performances and there's all these like little nuances that the characters are giving during that particular scene that, um, you, you kind of like, there's something about that film where it's like, you, you really fall for those characters, uh, cause each of them is very distinctly given, mm-hmm. you know, their own quirks and everything. And, uh, Cameron Crowe being a music person himself, you know, growing up in that world and, being yeah. um, a rock journalist, I think, um, you know, now there's like this, you know, I know it's going to be talked about in our next episode, but like a lot of filmmakers are making films about them becoming filmmakers or, yeah. you know, um, this is like, he almost kind of started the trend of like looking backwards and, and, uh, kind of making a film about his youth. And, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, that's why, almost famous tiny dancer is my pick that was on my short list because i was thinking about that one a lot too i was actually looking at it as kind of both diegetic and non-diegetic because sure. the song itself like and uh you know better than i do but i feel like it starts off with like some late piano yeah oh yeah and you think it's just this melancholy end when like the the tour manager um the guy with the awesome mustache and the hat is yes. like getting billy crud up away from the party and um uh, Patrick Fugit's character too, the rock, the young rock journalist, they're getting away from the party. Like, I'm sorry, folks, the tide, the, you know, the evening has come to an end. Blah, you know, it's right. We'll see you in 74. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, the evening is over. We hope you all enjoyed yourselves and we'll see you all again in 1974. Good evening. Blue jean, baby. Yeah. And so like you have like this like kind of melancholy little piano riff and then you realize like, oh, it's tiny dancers. But we just think it's the score to that scene. And then once they're all on the bus, like you said, it's awkward at first. And then people just start singing Tiny Dancer and it brings everybody together. So like it it shifts from being what seemed like a non-diegetic sound to just kind of like put a cap on this crazy scene. Yeah. And then it turns into a diegetic thing where everybody hears it and everybody comes together and we're like, all right, let's keep rocking on to the next. Yes. So perfect. Such a great use of music there. Yeah. Also like original music and you know, popular music as well from that time period. Oh, for sure. For sure. What did you end up picking? So I picked one that I actually do need to do a spoiler alert for. So (laughs) I went with the film Moonlight from 2016. Ah. Barry Jenkins. uh, I think so far it's, I hope, hope early in his career. Uh, So far though, I would argue that it's his masterpiece. Uh, It's just one of like the best films of that decade, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. it came out. But if you haven't seen it, what I'm going to talk about is going to spoil like the last third of it. So if you're unfamiliar with Moonlight or you don't want the ending spoiled, you know, uh, stop listening, I guess, which is weird advice for a podcast. To get. <laughs> but it, 
it builds so well. If you're familiar with the film, it's told in three different parts where we get uh, Chiron, and, you know, as a young kid, as a teen, and then as a young adult, a young male. And in the final third of it, he reconnects with like the with his friend Kevin, who's like the one sexual experience that he had that was not to say memorable, but like like the, the defining moment of like realizing who he is sexually as a young man. Yeah. And then like they cannot have a relationship. They just they don't because um, because of the movie happens. But in the last <laughs> third of it, which, you know, as, as rough and as maybe depressing or traumatizing as the experiences that uh, Chiron experiences in parts one and two. There are these great moments of joy that are like signs of life where like it isn't going to be all bad for you, kiddo. Can you just hang in there a little bit? Um, yeah. And the last third of it, um, I even rewatched it um, earlier today. And like I just I just I'm smiling the whole time, partly because I know where it's going to go. Yeah. The spoiler thing. But like there's just so much like hope and joy at the final end here. And so as I was rewatching it, it's when uh, Chiron arrives at the diner where Kevin works and or a restaurant, really. Uh, where where Kevin works and they're reconnecting for the first time since like that middle chunk where they have like, you know, their moment together on the beach. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I was waiting for, there's this needle drop that I'll get to in just a second, but there's like three or four things that happened before that I was like, okay, I didn't even realize how Barry Jenkins was building up the anticipation in the audience for what this needle drop is going to be. And uh, Chiron is just very reserved. He can't talk. Kevin even calls him out. He's like, you drove all this way. You can't say more than two words to me, man. You haven't changed a bit or whatever. So as he pulls up and Kevin doesn't know he's there yet, he's listening to Classic Man by Judea uh, or Jadena. And uh, it's like this interesting kind of remix version of it. So like, you know, he's he puts on a fresh shirt, you know, he combs his hair. So he's like, you know, very classic man. So the music is commenting on it and it's heard in the scene. And then as he enters the diner, it's one step ahead by Aretha Franklin as he enters the diner. So it's this like entrance song and this diner restaurant has a jukebox. So everybody else is hearing the song as well. And then Kevin and he say hi to each other. And Kevin's like, Oh, you know what? Hey, uh, I'll get you the chef special, man, man, go have a seat. I'll fix you up in a good plate. And so when he does that though, it switches to an orchestral piece that Nicholas Bertel, the composer made for the movie. So then that's non-diegetic. Sure. But it's, and it's this great little, like kind of dreamy montage of Kevin putting together the the meal and it's like kind of almost like the seduction scene like seduction through food like the care yeah. and preparation of getting a meal together for someone you care about sort of thing and then our love by edge of darkness plays on the jukebox as they sit down and then finally what we were waiting for is uh Sharon goes you know why'd you call me because so kevin had called him to be like reconnect or whatever and kevin says well i told you this guy came in and he played a song the other day and he just stops talking. He gets up, goes to the jukebox and he's going to play the song. So then we're like, as an audience, like what, what song is it? So it builds this really great little bit of anticipation. And then hello stranger by Barbara Lewis kicks on and it is diegetic. They both hear it. And it's this beautiful way to use the music because the characters already said, this reminded me of you. That's what a song reminded me of you or of us. That's why I called you. And they don't talk at all. Like the lyrics of the song say everything. Again, how long has it been? 
And that's usually when I start crying. I'm like, oh my God, they're together. They can finally tell each other how they feel and it's going to work out. Maybe it'll be okay. And uh, the ups and downs of just like their, their meeting there is like, maybe they are in a relationship, are they not? Nobody's really talking too much. But then once the music kicks in, you're like, that's the power of music. It brings them together. Uh, you know, almost tiny dancer way. Like it just, it fills in the gaps and it smooths things over and they can just kind of, they just hang out and they have the, you know, the evening together and then it ends just fucking beautifully. And you're crying because you're so happy that there's actually um, a bit of, of joy in both of their lives uh, as we yeah. read the story there. No, I, I think um, I had like a interesting experience watching that movie where I knew I could, um, I I think I remember going to like, it was like a Cedar Lee. It was like not that many people there, but like, it was one of those things where like I was enjoying it. But then that scene at the end, the way how it all came together, it was just like, well, that's a five, you know, it's yes, just like, yeah. you know what I mean? It, Cause yeah. it's like, you're, you're like, Oh, this is pretty good. I can see why people are talking about it. And then when it hits you at the yeah. end, boom, that emotional punch there, man, we're just like, yeah, oh, man, you got me. Holy cow. Yeah. So good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So our official watch challenge picks for needle drops, although to be honest, I have a feeling this is going to be a revisit topic because uh, <laughs> my list was really long. Uh, but our official picks on this particular uh, episode for needle drops was tiny dancer in almost famous and hello stranger in moonlight. I should say too, I did not know hello stranger going into that particular film. So that was one sure. of the things where I was like, damn, do they write this for the movie? Like it's so perfect. <laughs> but um. Anyway, Mike, what uh, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? So our next challenge is films about filmmaking. The Fablemans, the the new Spielberg movie, Empire of Light by Sam Mendes and Babylon by uh, Damien Chazelle all come out within, um, you know, the next couple weeks. So it seems like a good uh, topic to look at this uh, this increasing uh, subgenre. Well, even as you mentioned with uh Cameron Crowe, I don't know that he's done really about filmmaking. So like, it's not personal filmmaking. It's like the films that are directly dealing with like, here's how films are made. Yeah. Um, kind of style as well. So yeah. uh, if you'd like to send uh, your picks at all for films about filmmaking or any other topic or genre, you'd like us to cover on a future show, watch challenge podcast at gmail.com or the links in the show notes. Until next time, rate and review the show in whatever podcast app you're using. And we'll see you with the next challenge. Mm-hmm.